Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Come on, let's all go to the lobby. Because people are staring at us listening to these shows while we're in the theater. The following audio drama is rated G, which means it's perfectly safe for folks and families of all ages. Yes, even Grandma. Enjoy. I would like to take good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, allow me to the great pleasure of introducing uh, Mr. John Barber. I would also say good evening and welcome to another reimagined radio performance where we try to provide you with a radio experience you have never before heard or seen. Real uh, Reimagined Radio is a partnership between Vancouver's own Kiggins Theatre, the Willamette Radio Workshop from Portland, Oregon, and the Creative Media and Digital Culture Program at Washington State University, Vancouver. Together, we reconceptualize classic and contemporary radio drama as live performance, complete with voice actors, Foley sound effect artists, music, and other amazing feats of sound magic, all for your entertainment. We have in the past offered radio drama across a wide range of genres, including adventure, science fiction, horror, mystery, politics, and holiday cheer. We have not, however, offered a program devoted to the comedy greats of the golden age of radio. Tonight's performance will set that record straight with Laugh Your Dial Off, a collection of classic comedy skits compiled and performed for you by the Willamette Radio Workshop. We are broadcasting live and direct tonight thanks to the generosity of Mr. Gerald Gall, head of the American Senior Radio Network, an organization based here in Vancouver, Washington, that strives to provide reading, news, information, and entertainment services via online radio to disabled, shut-in, and otherwise mobility-challenged individuals. For those of you that are here with us in the historic Kiggins Theater, remember the lounge and concession stand will remain open throughout the performance, and also a wide selection of radio drama recordings and other materials are available in the the lobby should you wish to take home additional souvenirs of tonight's performance. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We appreciate you being with us here in the theater and at home listening on the radio. We hope you will enjoy the program we bring you tonight. Now, please relax and enjoy Laugh Your Dial Off, performed for you by the Willamette Radio Workshop under the direction of Sam A. Mowry. Workshop. 
Good evening, friends. We are the Willamette Radio Workshop, and tonight we take you back in time to the golden age of radio. We're going to share some of the greatest radio acts of all time. Please, feel free to sit back, close your eyes, and let us tickle your funny bones. So, let's get things started with one of my personal favorites, Vic and Sade. Vic and Sade was written by the prodigious Paul Reimer for the entire length of its long run. Prodigious, because during its 14-year run on radio, Rhymes wrote every episode. Vic and Sade became one of the most popular series of its kind, earning critical and popular success according to Time magazine. Vic and Sade had 7 million devoted listeners in 1943. For the majority of its span on the air, Vic and Sade was heard in 15-minute episodes without a continuing storyline. Uh, the central characters, known as Radio's Home Folks, were accountant Victor Rodney Gook, his wife Sade, and their adopted son Rush. The interesting thing is Paul Reimer actually wanted to have uh, Sade be pregnant and uh, give birth to a full-grown eight-year-old child. <laughs> the network said no. <laughs> so they adopted. Um, and uh, they all three lived on Virginia Avenue in the small house halfway up the block. And while it may seem to be a normal Midwestern family, there is more than a little absurdist and surreal along with the morning coffee and the family chores. Rush Brings in Rooster's Pants for Mending is one of four unpublished scripts that you are going to be the first audience to ever hear it performed. Thanks to Mr. Mark Rose for digging this up for us. Ladies and gentlemen, Vic and Sage. It's a few minutes after 10 o'clock in the morning as our scene opens now. And here in the kitchen, we find the lady of the house busy at her ironing board. The man of the house is present, too, doing a little office work at home. And at this particular moment, he is saying to his wife, Mom, oh, take a look out the window. Well, I just did some blizzard. I'll see. If this keeps up, we'll have our white Christmas, all right. And if this keeps up, we'll have a white Fourth of July. Never seen so much snow. Soon as it lets up, you better get your shovel out and scoop off the walk. Yeah. <laughs> Saw the mailman go by a while ago. Mm -hmm. His face was so red from the cold and his mustache so white from the snow, he looked like... Somebody stomping their feet on the back porch. The gas meter guy, I expect. Uh-huh. Now, why don't he go down the cellar door, traipsing through a person's kitchen with feet all over my knife? Well. Hi, Mom. Gov. Hello. Talk about your winter time. What are you doing home at 10 o'clock? It's recess. Rooster Davis and me ran through the blizzard to see if you'd sew up his pants. He tore them. Will you? Where are his pants? Got him here under my overcoat. Where's he? Out in the shed. Without any pants on? Yeah, he's kind of bashful, see? Didn't like to come in the house. Here's the pants. See the terrible rip? How'd he do that? Leaned up against a telephone pole that had a nail in it. Well, will you fix the pants? Oh, I suppose. Listen, though, you boys won't have time to get back to school before recess is over, will you? No, but that's okay. Under circumstances like these, 
Miss Kenny will excuse us. Is Rooster sitting out there in his bare legs? Sure. Run out and tell him to come in the house. He'll freeze. He don't want to come in. He's bashful without his pants on. <laughs> Is he wearing long underwear? No. Short. Go down cellar and take him out some overalls or, or something. Tell him he can sit upstairs till I've fixed his pants. Okay. Guess he'll agree to that. Can you sew up the rip all right? I can baste it with coarse thread so it'll hold till his mother can sew it on the machine. I'll tell him. If you go out the cellar door, you be sure and close it again good and tight. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you like to sit out in that shed without any pants on? I don't believe I'd care for it. Such notions kids get. Mm-hmm. Pick, will you open the drawer and hand me the needle and thread that's there? Uh-huh. Did you see this rip? No. Look. Gosh. <laughs> Might have killed himself on that nail. Are they good pants? No, just corduroy, old ones at that. Uh, is this what you want? Uh-huh. Symbol there, too? Yeah. It's a wonder children ever grow up. They expose themselves to so many dangers. Girls is the safest. Hmm. And still, they do crazy things, too. You know Miss Hemstreet's Lois May, don't you? Yeah, uh, I guess so. She's the one between Geraldine and Grace with, with the brace on her teeth? Uh-huh. She's as bad as any boy that ever lived. Guess what her mother caught her doing the other night? Couldn't imagine. Caught her hopping streetcars. Yeah. True as I'm standing here. They live on the Market Streetcar line, you know, and when the car had slowed down to make that turn, Lois May had run and jump on the back end of that car. <laughs> Didn't hear that boy wipe his feet. Why, Rush Gook. I couldn't find any clean overalls, Mom, so I... Where are your pants? I give them to Rooster. Did you Did you come up to the house from the shed like that? Yeah. Nobody was looking. Uh, and, and you a big man going on 13 years old. Well, heck, I couldn't find any clean overalls down the cellar, and Rooster... Why didn't Rooster come inside? Said he'd just as soon stay out there. <sighs> Gracious. Don't know which is one of you is more half-witted, Ralph. You or your pal? Well, not my fault if he wants to sit out in the cold. Mm -hmm. Did he put your pants on? Yeah. He's going to be okay. Said he was very comfortable. <laughs> uh, getting the rip sewed up, Mom? As well as I can. Listen, you suppose Rooster would mind if we emptied out his pockets? Not at all. Be lots easier to work with. Give them to me. I'll take the junk out. Oh, it won't be necessary for a minute yet. I'm sewing up the bottom here. Tell you what you can do. You run upstairs and get yourself some pants. Oh, I don't need any. Oh, yes, you do. I'm warm as toast. Do like I say. I am warm as toast, Mom. My legs can... Mind your mother there, Pete. The fact that you're warm as toast is beside the point. It's a matter of decency. When a lady requests a gentleman to wear pants in her presence... Something's still out here, Rush. Pick it up. Pick it up. Oh, where'd it go? By my feet somewhere. Look. Rooster's a guy that can carry more junk around in his pocket than a horse. He'll pick up a piece of iron off the street and carry it around till... Oh, by gosh. What was it? A piece of green chalk. Why that dirty crook? Mom, remember the other day when I come home with riding on the back of my leather jacket? Yes. Said... Rush is crazier than his uncle's grandmother? Yes. It was in green writing, wasn't it? 
Don't remember. You remember, Gov? No. Well, it was in green writing, and here's a green chalk that wrote it. And that doggone rooster tried to lay it on hiney call. Rush, will you get something to cover up your legs? Why can't I wear your apron? You'll be done there in a minute, won't you? Oh, take it off me then. Talk about your low-down crooks. Wish I hadn't given Rooster my pants. Serve him right to sit out there in the shed all day. Here. Want to empty these pockets? Yeah. Oh, my needle's dangling. Careful you don't stick yourself. How's the blizzard look, Vic? Looks like it's going to keep right on going. Is Rooster peeking out the window of the shed? Hmm. Don't see him. <laughs> All them holes and chinks in the wall, I bet the snow's just flurrying around his ears. Well, Rooster's a reflective young man. He probably loves the peace and the quiet of the shed. Hey! What aileth thou? Look here what I found in that guy's pocket. What? My ink eraser. Rooster claimed he never set eyes on it. Hurry up there, son. I, I got other things to do, you know. Why, that skunk had my ink eraser all the doggone time. How do you imagine it uh, came to be in his possession? Plain as day. Yesterday, when the teacher wasn't looking, I hauled off and hit Rooster in the back of the head with the ink eraser. <laughs> and when I went over after school to hunt for it, I couldn't find it. Asked Rooster about it. He said he didn't know a thing, and here it was in his pocket. Well, I don't know how a court of law would act in the case. But if somebody hit me in the back of the head with something valuable, uh, I'd feel perfectly justified in keeping the My gosh, he's got money! Look here! Eleven cents! The same eleven cents you put in his drinking water, I suppose. Well, what you know about that? Got eleven cents cash and been stalling me off about the three cents he's owed me for six weeks. Rush, if you want me to fix those pants, give them here. Ain't got all the stuff out of the pockets yet, Ma. That poor rooster's turned into an icicle out there. Same? Yes. Uh, what do you think of this man's costume? <laughs> My apron. Have you observed the view from behind? No. Uh, well, it's well worth your while. An apron, though ideal for covering the anterior part of the body, it is uh, utterly inadequate when it comes to covering up the posterior. Why, that darned rattlesnake? No, what'd you find now? A note he wrote to my girl, to Mildred Tisdale. Mildred, are you walking home after school? A false friend, if ever there was one. Well, anyway, he got turned down. Says on the other side, I am walking home with Elizabeth Miller and Gracie Clam. What you know about that? I bet I make Rooster Rush, Davis... give me those pants. Here. Gov, wouldn't you jump down that guy's throat? Don't know but what I would. Here I was, doing a favor letting him set my own woodshed, while my own mother sewed up his darn old pants. And all the time he had this evidence in his pockets. A piece of green chalk he wrote on my back with and said he didn't. Eleven cents in cash, when he's owed me three cents for six weeks... Ink eraser he copped off of me and a note to Mildred Tilsdale when he knows I'm the guy she walks home with when she don't walk home with the girls. A black, unbelievable story. Just wait till I get him. Did you find anything uh, incriminating in those other articles there? No. What are those other articles? Uh, just junk Rooster carries in his pocket. Little book about how to fix your cook stove. Comb with all the teeth out, busted fountain pen, hinge off a screen door, heel plate, lady's shoe button, a hunting license, 
good in Ohio in 1914. Horseshoe nail, just different stuff. Here's the pants, son, all fixed. Thank you very much, Mom. Tell Rooster to look out for nails and telephone poles after this. Yeah. Say, I guess I'll put these pants on. Trade with Rooster out in the shed. Shed's a pretty cold place for changing pants. That's okay. Here's your apron back, Mom. Don't forget to put those things back in the pockets. I'll put some of them back. Gonna keep my ink eraser and my three cents. Will Miss Kinney want a written excuse to let you boys back in class? No, we'll explain it to her. We'll just say... Oh, here's something you dropped. Oh, yeah. Thing to cut your fingernails with. Rooster's carried that around in his pocket for years. Never cuts his fingernails with it. Well, I'll go on out now. Don't be scared if you hear a lot of hollering. Hollering? I'm going to take a good poke at Rooster. I'll teach him. Better take a good poke at your school books. Teach yourself. Thanks again for fixing the pants, Mom. Perfectly all right. See you at dinner time. So long, Gov. So long. Look out and see how the blizzard is now. Hmm. Coming along fine. I like snow around Christmas time all right, but... Uh, he forgot his overcoat. No, oh, he'll be back in to get it. Hope Brewster's got a good warm overcoat. <laughs> Sitting out in that old shed. Well, he'll probably get warmed up when Rush takes a poke at him. <laughs> I don't think he'll take any poke at Rooster. Hmm? He tried it twice before and come out on the dirty end of the stick. Ooh. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny, them things in the pants pocket. <laughs> yeah. Wonder what I'd find if I went through my best friend's clothes. It's kind of kind of like that business about eavesdroppers. Seldom hear good of themselves. Mm-hmm. After all, the contents of a man's pocket pants pocket are pretty sacrosanct. I forgot my overcoat. Yes, they're on the chair. Changed pants yet? Nah. We decided to wear each other's pants for the rest of the morning. Awful cold out in that shed. Rooster says thanks, Ma. Tell him glad to help. Well, see you at dinner time. Oh, son, did you uh, take that poke at Rooster? No, I didn't. We we kind of fixed things up. How so? Well, uh, you see, he had my pants on just now. Uh-huh. And he got to monkeying around and found some stuff in my pockets. What did he find? Oh, just a few different articles. What were they? A buffalo nickel with a hole in it I swiped off him. And a little tube of mucilage that gave it away I was the guy that stuck his arithmetic book to his geography book. <laughs> and a piece of wire, just like the piece of wire somebody had tied his overshoes together with. And a little bottle of red sand, like the red sand he found in his hat at school the other day. Ah. Oh. Um. So, we kind of fixed it up. Mm-hmm. I agreed to overlook what I found in his pockets, and he agreed to overlook what he found in my pockets. I see. Well, I gotta go on to school now. <laughs> so long, Gov. So long. So long, Mom. So long. See you at dinner time. Uh-huh. Goodbye. Which concludes a tale of torn pants, revealing pockets, storms, threats, heartbreak, and the final reconciliation of two friends.
Next up, we have Fred Allen. Fred Allen was an American comedian whose absurdist, topically pointed radio program, The Fred Allen Show, made him one of the most popular and forward-looking humorists in the golden age of American radio. His best-remembered gag was his long-running mock feud with friend and fellow comedian Jack Benny. But it was only part of his appeal. Radio historian John Dunning wrote that Allen was radio's most admired comedian and most frequently censored. A master ad-libber, Allen often tangled with his network's executives and often took shots and shots at them on the air. While developing routines whose style and substance influenced fellow comic luminaries, including Groucho Marx, Stan Freeberg, and Johnny Carson. His avowed fans also included President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and novelist William Faulkner, John Steinbeck, and Herman Wolk, who began his writing career writing for Fred Allen. So without further ado, Fred Allen. Portland. Well, Portland, pull up an old rejoinder and sit down. What's new? Mama says President Truman has taken over all the coal mines. Does your mother need coal? Yes. Mama's calling up the White House tomorrow and ordering two tons. Oh, that's fine. Do away with the middleman, go right to the top. Well, if she needs any wood, the president could sit down at the piano and give her a couple of chords. I imagine. Oh, uh, not good, huh? Can I help it? A man crept in here and did something to the script tonight. I won't mention any names. Mama says the world today is a bowling alley. The world is a bowling alley? Every time you turn around, there's a strike. Well, I'm glad I... All right, all right. Anything you don't understand, just applaud. It's perfectly all right. That's what they do in Hollywood. People just come in, applaud, get warm, and go home. Well, I'm glad the trains are running again, Portland. Yes, if the railroad strike lasted one more week... Yeah? ...the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe would have been off the hit parade. Oh, that would have been terrible. Well, I think I'll run along, Portland. I have to get to my magnifying glass and worm a crab apple. Mama says Friday's your birthday. That's right. How old are you? Nobody knows, Portland. I was born before the Decca Company started, so there weren't any records in those days. <laughs> Mama said... Now, don't you laugh. Don't start up. If you're going to establish a president in here, I want to know about it. Mama says last year when the candles on your birthday cake melted down... Yeah? There was enough grease to wax the floor at Roseland. Oh, I'm not that old, Portland. Mama says if you were a piece of furniture, you'd be an antique. If I was an antique in radio... I'd be Duncan's other fife. Well, well, okay. That's life, I guess, Portland. Mama says, life's like the Australian fig bird. The Australian fig bird? It lives off the seeds in figs. But there aren't any figs in Australia. The Australian fig bird dies at birth. <laughs> and the Australian fig bird has nothing on our jokes, let me tell you. <laughs> With that said, I think we better get along to Alan. Alley, Portland. What's your question tonight? Well, recently a Mr. Al Slater, a specialist in mental suggestion, made a phonograph record that he guarantees will put any insomniac to sleep. And so our question is, do you have any trouble sleeping? And if you do, 
What are you doing about it? Shall we go? As the dollar dinner said when the glutton sat down, I'll be gone in a minute. <laughs> ah, it's so good to get back to Allen's Alley, Portland. It's as quiet as an eel coiling in a bucket of whipped cream. Mm. Say, I wonder if the senator's in. Let's knock. Somebody, I say somebody knocked. Yes, I am. Uh... Uh, Claghorn's the name. Senator Claghorn, that is. Well, now, look, well, I know... Well, something tells me you don't remember me, son. Oh, look, I remember you. I'm from the south, the pone and possum paradise. Now, look, Senator... The only plant life I have around my house is a Virginia creeper. Now, wait a minute. Now, every time I get chicken pox, they're southern fried. Senator... Hey, remember me now, son? No. Don't say no in my presence. Why not? And oh, why that's north, abbreviated. Wait a minute, Senator. What about this sleeping problem? Well, when I when I say I first met the when you know when I went to the Senate, I had plenty of trouble sleeping. You? Yeah. After the roll was called, I put on my seersucker nightshirt and my Lindsay Woolsey Bay Ray. Yeah. And then I faced the South, lean back, close my eyes, and go to sleep, eh? Well, until some Yankee pigeon plucker get up there and start flapping his lips and break up my morpheus filibuster. Filibuster, that is. I heard you the first time, Senator. Are you still losing sleep, Senator? Oh, no, I solved that problem, son. How? Well, when I'm ready to sleep in the Senate, I just sit back and croon myself a southern lullaby. What is your southern lullaby? <clears throat> me, 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 me. Rock-a-bye, small fry, on the cotton tree top. When the wind blows, your cradle will rock. When the wind's from the north, I say, baby, you'll ball. For down will come cradle, tree, and you all. <laughs> well, very good, Senator. So long, So Senator. long, son. Bye. Well, the senator stopped just in time. I was dozing off myself. Now, I wonder how Titus Moody is doing. Howdy, Bob. You're starting to sound like Dennis Day, Titus. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Moody, do you have any trouble sleeping? Well, I only half sleep. Half sleep? I got short eyelids. With short eyelids, you can't close your eyes, huh? Only when I frown. I see. Well... Are you the only one awake on the farm? No, daylight saving time has got everything in a swivet. The animals are bewildered? Yeah, my cow had insomnia. Your cow didn't sleep at all? Well, the bags under her eyes were so big, I didn't know which end to milk. Oh, you were confused, huh? Yeah, first time I milked the wrong end, I got two buckets full of homogenized tears. <laughs> well, have you cured the cow's insomnia? I got a book on hypnotizing. Good. I stood in front of the cow. Yeah? I stared right into her eyes. Uh-huh. I started waving my hand. Uh-huh. I said, Alakazam, Alakazen, you ain't a cow, you're a hen. You're a hen. Well, was your hypnotism a success? Yeah, today the cow thinks she's a hen. Well, <laughs> how do you know? Well, she's sitting on a nest. You mean? And she's laying eggnogs. <laughs> so long, bub. Well, let's try the next door here. New. Oh, Miss Nussbaum. You are expecting maybe Hoagie Cobb, Uncle. 
Tell me, Mrs. N, do you have any trouble sleeping? Who could sleep? Every night with his dreaming, my husband Pierre is waking me up. He dreams, huh? Always. He's different things. Dreams? He's different things? How do you mean? One night, Pierre is dreaming he is the lone stranger. Yeah. All night long, he is yelling, Hi-ho, Silva! Hi-ho, Silva, huh? Upstairs is living a Mrs. Silva. Oh. All night, she is yelling back, Hi-ho, Nussbaum! I see. One night, Pierre is dreaming that he is an automobile, a roadster. A roadster? In his pajamas, Pierre is sleeping with the top down. Oh, my. Once he is dreaming he is an Alka-Seltzer. An Alka-Seltzer? All night, Pierre is fizzing. No wonder you can't sleep. Last night, he should drop dead. What happened? Last night, he is dreaming he is a tea kettle. A tea kettle, huh? All night long, he is whistling. Whistling? Hmm. In the morning when he's waking? Yeah. In bed with Pierre is 20 dogs. <laughs> well, that brings us to the lavender shanty at the end of the alley. Let's try here. You knock three times? You think that's nice? In my last picture, the postman rang twice. Ah, uh, Falstaff. You have new poems tonight? Indubitably. Hast heard? Said the little bear to the big giraffe, let's eat a hyena just for the laugh. No. Or, uh, when I called her baby, her face lit up because she had a lantern jaw. No. How about this? <clears throat> Mother's home putting on spikes on her shoes. She's playing first base for Vera Cruz. Now, wait a minute, Falstaff, you exponent of Hackney. Tonight we are discussing the problem of sleep. My poem awaits your bidding. And what is your shut-eye sonata called? <clears throat> My recipe for slumber. How does it, Geed? If you cannot sleep at night and you don't know what to do, my recipe for slumber is just the thing for you. Don't waste time taking powders. Don't bother counting sheep. Don't dawdle in a hot bath, hoping you will sleep. Don't give up drinking coffee. Don't send for any gland man. You can eat and drink all night, and still you'll meet the sandman. My recipe for slumber is older than the Sphinx. Just cut 20 tiddlies into halves, and you'll get 40 winks. Well, thank you, Falstaff. And as Falstaff runs for the covers, we turn to greet, Who Do You Love? That was just a short order of Who Do You Love? I hope. Played by maestro Al Goodman with his 40 men who, 
Now, this is Studio 6A, folks. Hey, say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, that last booth is the control room. Say, just a minute. And that little man with the mildew on him, he's a vice president. Say, wait a minute, what is this? Well, this is a Radio City 60-cent tour. Okay, folks, let's get going. Hey, hey, wait a minute. I got a stowaway here. A stowaway? On a tour? Only 15 people paid. Now I got 16. Who would be low enough to sneak into a tour to save 60 cents? Hey, there's the guy. Hey, you. Who? Me? Jack Benny. Jack, I... Come on, I'm going to get that 60 cents out of you if I have to. Take your hand off my tie. Come on. Put me down. Yes, guide, put Mr. Benny down. I'll give you the 60 cents. Now, wait a minute, Fred. Wait a minute. Put that money away. But, Jack... I've only seen half the tour. Well, Jack... Well, give him 30 cents. Here you are, guide. All right, thanks. Follow me, folks. Now, on your right is a very interesting water cooler. I think you're going to enjoy it. Well, Fred, <laughs> it was nice of you to pay the 30 cents. Oh, it was nothing. Nothing, he says. 30 cents. <laughs> Jack, how can you be so cheap? Oh, all right, go ahead. Be like the other radio comedians. Tell some cheap jokes. Say I'm tighter than the skin on Sidney Greenstreet's hip. I squeeze the nickel so hard, the E pluribus laps over the unum. Tell him. Well, Jack, I don't... Don't start insulting me after I made a special trip here just to say goodbye before I leave for Hollywood. Well, Jack, I really... Suddenly I'm cheap. I won't even eat out in the sun because I'm afraid my shadow might ask me for a bite. Your shadow has teeth? Jack, don't get excited. Look, if you're cheap, you're cheap. Well, that's the way I look at it. Some people save asparagus ends. It's a hobby. My hobby is not spending. Look, Jack, if there was ever a time that you and I should not argue, this is that time. What, what do you mean? Well, a lot this... of... Haven't you heard? A lot of radio programs that have been on for many years have been canceled. They'll not be back on the air next fall. Well, that's radio, Fred. <laughs> It's dog-eat-dog, I always say, only the fit survive. Oh, how true. By the way, you finished tonight, didn't you? Yes, sirree, tonight was my last show of the season. Did your sponsor mention anything about your program coming back in October? Well, no, no, Fred, but but we have an understanding. Uh, You see, we always sort of take it for granted. Oh, Yes, uh, the season ends, the sponsor shakes hands with me, and uh, then we... Yipe! Jack! Jack, what's wrong? Tonight he didn't shake hands. Well, that's what's happened to the street singer. At the end of the year, his sponsor used to wink. One year, he didn't wink. The street singer was back in the street. But Fred, why should my sponsor want to get rid of me? Why, I'm funnier than when I started. Let's face it, Jack. Radio needs new blood. Who knows? We may be through. I've been in radio for 14 years. They can't throw me aside like like an old shoe. But, Jack... 14 years and now, like an old shoe. But, Jack, you with the yipe and the hmm. 14 years is a long time. Fred, what has Bob Perkins got that I haven't got? Only longer commercials. 
Well, Jack, you know how it is in radio. Today you're a star. Tomorrow, Ralph Edwards is hitting you in the face with a pie. That's why I have a new show. A new show? People don't want entertainment today. A radio show has to give away things. Nylons, iceboxes, automobiles. You, you, you mean to stay on the air, you have to give things away? For free? Yes. I'll die first. <laughs> well, not me. I'm auditioning my new program tonight. And you're... Fred, you're giving things away? Tons of stuff. To strangers? What's the difference who gets it? Well, Fred, as long as I'm here in the studio. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry, Jack. Professional people cannot participate. It's the rule. But don't you ever find people on these programs changing their names to get something for nothing? Well, occasionally we do catch a phony, but we're on the air. What can we do? Nothing. You have to give them the merchandise. That's right. Hmm. Mr. Allen, are you ready for your audition? Uh, I'll uh, run along now, Fred. Uh, so long. So long, Jack. Well, all right, Mr. Goodman, let's try out my new show. How would you like to be king for a day? And here he is, the man who will change one of you nobodies into king for a day. The old kingmaker himself, Fred Allen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and good evening. Did all you folks in the audience like those thousand dollar bills you found on your seats when you came in? Good, good. And if you want more, there'll be a big bag of money at the door. On your way out, help yourselves. But, but the stage is loaded with hundreds of presents for the first man to answer our Jumbo Jackpot question. He will be king for a day. And here is our first eager contestant. Good evening, sir. What is your name? Abner Plug. Mr. Plug, how old are you? I'm 98. 98 years old? And don't paint an orchid on me. No, no orchid, eh? That's how I lost my wife. On a quiz program? Yeah, my wife was 102. The fella pinned an orchid onto her. I see. The weight of the orchid bent my wife over and snapped her spine. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, my wife won first prize and she never knew it. Well, all right, Mr. Plug. now for our question. You may be king for a day. I don't think I'll last through the day. All right, in that case, we'll hurry. Tell me, who was the sixth president of the United States? The sixth? He had three names. Mary Margaret McBride. Oh, I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Plug. But... For making such a swell try, here is a gift certificate presented at LaGuardia Airfield, and you will get a brand new B-59 and a polka dot form-fitting parachute. Happy landings, Mr. Plug. And here is our next potential king for a day. Your name, sir? 
Myron Proudfoot. Myron Proudfoot, eh? You look like a chap I know. I'm not interested in your friends. Start giving away the things, brother. <laughs> what is your occupation, Mr. Proudfoot? I'm a, a chaplain uh, in a bakery. What does a chaplain do in a bakery? I put wings on angel cakes. <laughs> How long have you been in the cake business, Mr. Proudfoot? Long enough to know a crumb when I see one. And, brother, I see one. <laughs> now, don't get sarcastic, Mr. Proudleg. My name is Proudfoot. Now, come, make with the question. All right. Who was the sixth president of the United States? John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams is correct. And Mr. Myron Proudfoot is king for a day. <laughs> Folks, here he is, King Proudfoot. Well, Your Majesty, how do you feel? Ne never mind how I feel. What do I get? First, first, for His Majesty from Schnook Sportnook, a genuine no-splash beaverboard canoe paddle. Here it is. A canoe paddle? Oh, boy! And with the compliments of Tiffany's, this chromium pitchfork for our king for the day. Gee, a four-pronger. And it's all mine. And from Henningway's hardware store, 200 pounds of self-hardening putty just for king for a day. It's just what I needed, just what I needed. This is just the beginning, king. King, are you over 35? By, uh, two years. <laughs> Fine. A jumbo pot and knuckle gym for his majesty. He is over 35. Ippie, ippie. <laughs> That's yipe, backwards. <laughs> and here, the piston rod from a genuine Baldwin locomotive for his majesty, the king. A small locomotive, well. And here from Melody Lane Music Shop, in this case of 2,000 soybean mandolin picks. These are the mandolin picks. I, I just have to keep pinching myself to believe it. <laughs> Immediately after this program, Your Majesty, you will be guest of honor at a banquet at Hamburger Heaven. Tomorrow morning, through the courtesy of the sanitation department, you will be guest conductor on the 11-5 garbage run through the Bronx. At night, in your ermine robe, you will be whisked by bicycle to Orange, New Jersey, where you will be the judge in a chicken cleaning contest. <laughs> I'm king for a day. And that's not all. There's more? Yes. We're going to start right now to make you look like a king. Sam of Sam's Super Shoe Shine Stand is here to brush your shoes. All right, Sam. Uh, uh, Sam, watch the button. Next, the president of the Busy Bee Hat Cleaners is here to block your hat. Take the king's hat, Mr. Bumble. Uh, and, and change the newspaper and the hat band. <laughs> your, uh, your suit is a little baggy, king. Boys, take his majesty's coat off. Wait, wait. Ours, on our stage, we have a Hoffman pressing machine. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. An expert operating the Hoffman pressing machine will press no, your no, trousers. Now, wait. Uh, take Mr. Proudfoot's pants off, boy. No, wait, boy. No, wait. Boy. Keep your shirt on, King. You, you bet I'll keep my shirt on. We're a little late, folks. Tune in again next week. Oh, come on, Alan. Give me my pants. Quiet, King. 
Alan, where are my pants? Benny, for 15 years I have been waiting to catch you like this. Alan, you haven't seen the end of me. It won't be long now. <laughs> I want my pants! W.C. Fields and Charlie McCarthy, two of the most famous names in radio history. This one is a bit of a puzzlement. The popularity of a ventriloquist on radio, where no one could see either the dummies or his skill, surprised and puzzled many critics. Then, and let's face it, even now. Even knowing that Bergen provided the voice, listeners perceived Charlie as a genuine person. Bergen was not the most technically skilled ventriloquist. Charlie McCarthy frequently twitted him for moving his lips. Wait, wait a second, he did move his lips. He moved Charlie's lips. Anyway. Um, but Bergen's sense of comedic timing was perfect, and he handled Charlie's snappy dialogue with aplomb. Bergen's wit in creating McCarthy's striking personality and that of the other characters was the making of the show. Uh, Bergen's uh, popularity as ventriloquist on radio, where the trick of throwing his voice was not visible, suggests his appeal was primarily the personality he applied to his characters. Now, W.C. Fields was an American comedian, actor, juggler, and writer. Fields' comic persona was a misanthropic, hard-drinking egoist who remained a sympathetic character despite snarling contempt for dogs and children. Charlie filled the role with great aplomb and uh, serious pushback. Ladies and gentlemen, W.C. and Charlie at the sanitarium. My, this sanatorium has beautiful grounds, hasn't it? Yes, it has. I guess Mr. Field's bungalow is right along here someplace. Even the numbers, the even numbers are on this side. Why, that's it there. Look, even the number is lit up. I tell you what we'll do, Charlie. Let's walk in and surprise Fields. Yeah, that's good. Oh, bring me my books and my bottle. Oh, you, you. Hello, Bill. Hiya, Mr. Fields. Hark, who goes there, friend or hypodermic? Why, Bill, Bill, it's it's us, Bill. A fine thing. A man can't even sit in his own boudoir without being accosted by beggars. Shall I let him, let him have it now, Bill? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Bill, it, it's your old friends, Edgar and Charlie. Well, well, so it is. Come on in. It's good to see you. Thank you. Well, Charles, I hear you got married and raised yourself a court of children. I fear that isn't quite right, sir. You fear that isn't quite right, sir. If it's anything I hate, it's an honest child. Uh, uh, Bill, it's good to see you again. How true that old proverb is. Old friends, like old wines, are best, eh? (laughs) Yes, indeedy, Edgar. Yes, indeedy. Especially the wine. Uh, Bill, I was going to bring you a basket of fruit... But I decided to ask you first what you like best and then have it sent out. Oh, well, I like brandied peaches. Brandied peaches. They're very nourishing. You squeeze the peaches and you save the juice. (laughs) Bill, you don't sound like you're ill. What are you doing here in the sanatorium? 
Well, don't you know that there's a housing shortage? Oh, so that's why you're living here. You mean you're not really sick, Bill? Quiet. Yes, if they think you're well, they'll toss you out of here as well, won't they? Sure they will. Hmm. Say, I was told about your eviction, Bill, but I'd like to hear your side of the story. Yeah, we've already heard the truth. <laughs> yes, very good, my little chum, very good. You know, Charles, many's the time I wished you could be here to fill that terrible vacancy. In your heart, Bill? No, in my fireplace. <laughs> well, that would be a nice place to bake that red apple. Oh, or is that your nose? Uh, Bill, uh, why were you evicted from your home? Well, the whole thing started with a very few small birds. Uh-huh. You know, I've always been very fond of our feathered friends. Yes. Large or small, tame or wild. Blonde or brunette. Uh, yes. <laughs> I hear that you have a yellow-throated magpie in your aviary. Yeah. What about a mongoose? Well, I had one, but he worked himself to death. Bill, you have quite a collection, don't you? Yes, I have, Edgar. Yes, I have. I always have a very rare Australian duck-billed platypus. Well, I'm sure the doctors can cure you. Uh, no, Charlie. <laughs> there is such a bird. It has fur on its body, lives in the water, has a duck bill, and lays eggs. Yes, like I do. Well, how small is this bird? Do you need glasses to see it? Yes, about three or four. <laughs> bill, what have birds got to do with your eviction? Well, one day as I was watching a bird through my field glasses, when my vision suddenly roamed to a neighbor's patio where a young damsel was taking a sunbath. Ah, mm -hmm. It was an unavoidable mistake, I take it. Oh, yes, indubitably it was. It was. I was most surprised person in the world when the police came and carried me away in that black school bus. Well, don't tell me you got in that patrol wagon without putting up a fight, Bill. Yes, they tricked me. How? They told me it was a beer truck. Oh. <laughs> clang, clang, clang. <laughs> yeah, clang, clang, clang. <laughs> There. Who's that, the warden? No, that's my medicated chambermaid. Say, tell me, Bill, do you have a nice nurse? She has the soul of an ice cube. Now remember, boys, don't expose me. I'm supposed to be a very sick man. Oh, sure, sure. So, you're sitting up, huh? Looks like you're just about well. Isn't she a tough dame? <laughs> Frankly, nurse, I don't think I'll live through the night. Good. Then I can rent this room out tomorrow. That's no way to talk. He's a very sick man. Why, he's within three fingers of death's door. Well, look, he's shaking like a mint leaf. Oh, water, water. What am I saying? Ah, <laughs> oh, shut up. You're doing all right. How could you tell? This morning, he tried to blow the foam off the medicine. Now, just a minute, nurse. He's a sick man. You keep out of this, Curly. Who do you think you are? I'm Edgar Bergen. Yes, I know. And I'm Lana Turner. Why don't you pack up and go home? Well, you can't go home. He was thrown out of there, too. Oh, so that's it. Why don't you close your knothole, you talking totem pole? Why, you two-legged martini. Now, Charlie, remember, we came here to extend the olive branch. What's the use? He's only going to trip over it. <laughs> One more crack and I'll nail some runners to your stomach and use you for a sled. Oh, you slay me, Bill. And Charlie. I've never been so insulted since the day I was born. Oh, you weren't born. You were squeezed out of a bar oh, rag. Oh, all right, you. Everybody out. Everybody out. Get out of here. Here we go again. 
Here we go again. Clang, 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 clang. Here we go again. Next, we bring you Fibber McGee and Molly. Now, Fibber McGee and Molly followed the adventures of a working-class couple, the habitual storyteller Fibber McGee and his sometimes terse but always loving wife Molly, living among their numerous neighbors and acquaintances in the community of Wistful Vista, a staple of the NBC Red Network for the show's entire run and one of the most popular and enduring radio shows of its time, the primetime situation comedy ran as a standalone series from 1935 to 1956, 21 years. Tonight, we will present Fibber McGee's Closet, the most famous sound effect in the history of radio. We think our Foley artist is up to the challenge. For those who love Foley, this is Nirvana. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson Wax and Johnson Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly. Once again, it's Fibber McGee and Molly time. Fibber McGee and Molly. The dramatic story of a woman with her faith in a man and a man with his faith in a newspaper. Will something exciting, unusual, or momentous take place in the little time frame house at 79 Wistful Vista tonight? Or is that expecting too much? <laughs> yes. yes, I guess it's expecting too much. Anyway, here they are, Fibber McGee and Molly. Anything interesting in the paper, dearie? Well, here's an interesting article in crop services, Molly. You don't say. Yeah. Now, take corn, for instance. Certainly. We can take it and we can dish it out. <laughs> hey, I'm serious. This writer says that if conditions keep up, the small farmer will be completely annihilated. Oh. Uh, what's annihilated? Annihilated. Uh-huh. Um, well, that means, uh, well, you, when the farmer, well, for instance, if... if, if, uh, if uh, Where's the dictionary? Oh. Well, it's probably in the closet with the rest of your stuff. Give me the key and I'll go get it for you. Oh, no, you don't. Now you lay off that closet. I got all my stuff arranged in there just the way I want it. Now, don't be silly. Give me the key. Well, okay. Now, let's see here. Uh, which one of these is the one? Heavenly days. Why do you carry all these keys? Does it make you feel important or something? Well, what do you mean, important? Every one of them keys is necessary. Well, what's that little key there for? Well, that's a padlock key. What padlock? Well, for the backyard gate we used to have in Peoria. What, what are you keeping that for? Are you homesick? No, but if we ever move back to Peoria, I'd try to rent the same house and cause this key fits the padlock there. <laughs> you got to think ahead of these things. And uh, you see this key here? Yeah, it looks like the key to a can of salmon. Nope, sardines. I use that one to clean my pipe with. Oh, I see. Now, let's see. Which one of these keys is the closet door key? Say, maybe we better see if the closet is locked. Let me take a look. Oh, it's locked, all right. You don't think I'd leave all my personal defects in there laying around for any prowler to get his hands on? Well, my, McGee, it's not locked. What? No. Oh! Yes. Ah! 
right, but Dad Rabbit, you, you might have been more careful. Quick, help! There's funny little bugs all over me. Brush them off quick, quick, Oh, quick, calm quick. yourself, calm yourself. Them are my trout flies. Oh. Doggone it, Molly. Why'd you have to go and mess up everything? Well, never mind that now. Oh, dear. Will you look at all this junk that fell out of that closet? Well, don't worry. I'll put it all back, Molly. I'll, uh... Oh, no, you won't. Huh? We're going to go through that pile of whatnots and throw everything out that we don't need. Oh, yeah? Well, I've been through this stuff a hundred times, and there ain't a thing in it that I can spare. Oh, there isn't? No. What's this old rusty horseshoe for? Well, I found that in 1911. As soon as I find three more, we can pitch horseshoes in the backyard. I see. You expect to find three more. You betcha. You think the automobile is here to stay, eh? Uh, well, it won't be if we don't catch up with the payments. <laughs> Hi, mister. Oh, well, hello there, little girl. What you want? You remember that job you promised me to take care of your baby, only you didn't have one? So I was going to bring my little brother over and take care of him, remember? Do you remember? Um, yes, 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 yeah. I remember, but I... Uh... Well, 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 the deal is off, see? Uh, well, what do you mean the deal is off? In the first place, I wasn't any deal, and in the second place... Uh... My mommy had to take my little brother to the doctor today, so I can't bring him here. Oh, well, that's too bad. What's the matter with your little brother? Anything serious? My mama thinks so. Oh, she thinks so, huh? She thinks so. She thinks he swallowed a dime. Swallowed a dime? Well, that is serious. No, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> ah, he didn't swallow a dime, I betcha. Huh? It was only eight cents. Only eight cents? Well, how do you know? slot machine, and I fed it to him. <laughs> what you doing, mister? Well, we're cleaning out this closet, if you must know. I mustn't. Mustn't what? No. What? No? Yes. What? Come on. Oh, listen, kid. Suppose you go on home and annoy somebody else. Go bother your daddy. He isn't home. He's working on the senseless. On the what? On the senseless. He goes to people's doors and asks them how many people in the family and how old are you and all the stuff like that there, but I betcha. Oh, oh, you mean the census. <laughs> Shucks, I didn't think a kid of your age knew what a census was. Oh, I do, I betcha. Yeah? Yeah, a census is information, please, on the red, white, and blue network. <laughs> well, goodbye, mister. Goodbye. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavenly days, McGee. Imagine all this stuff falling out of one little closet. How'd you ever get it all in there? Oh, I don't know. I, I guess I just inherited a gift for packing. You know, my great aunt Minnie had a job stuffing pimentos and olives. <laughs> oh, look at this, Molly. It's the tabaret I made in manual training. Hmm. Yes, sir. Didn't you ever finish anything? It's only got three legs. Well, they wouldn't let me stay in the fifth grade another year. Oh, McGee, look. One of our old dance programs before we were married. I didn't know you were so sentimental. <laughs> Is that a dance program? I was saving it on account of that little pencil hanging onto it. I mean, you'll never know when you need a pencil. Listen to this. Waltz. Waltz. Turkey trot. Waltz. Bunny hug. Waltz. Texas Tommy. Waltz. What? No shot it? <laughs> Grizzly bear. Waltz. Ah, you had every dance with me but the last waltz. McGee, who did you dance with? Why, nobody. We sat that one out. In the buggy, remember? Ooh. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we couldn't go back into the dance because you sat on a box of chocolate-covered cherries and spoiled your white pants. Yes, well, let me see, Molly. Hey, how about this old photograph album here? Well, I should say not. That's got all our old family photos in it. Oh, dear. You mean you're going to keep all of this junk? We can't throw any of it out. Nope, no, sir. I've got a use for every one of those things. Now, you don't need this, do you? Huh? What is good is a s one snowshoe. What, one, 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 what, one what? Snowshoe. Is that a snowshoe? Why, <laughs> shucks. No wonder Billy Hills beat me so badly at tennis. <laughs> well, McGee, I've just about exhausted my impatience with you. Why? Packing all this useless junk back in the closet? How about all these old books? Oh, what old books? Why, let me see. Oh, them! Why, them's my correspondence course in taxidermy. Taxidermy? Why on earth did you need to study taxidermy? Well, how did I know that it meant stuffing birds and animals? And there I was, stuck with a chauffeur's license, a city map, and a pair of putties. <laughs> all right, well, hurry up and put your playthings back in the closet. Okay. It looks terrible lying around here on the floor like that. Oh, well, I'll get it. Hello, no, this is the residence. Uh, uh, no, you got the wrong number. Is that you, Mert? Oh, egad, every week the same thing. <laughs> How's every little thing, Mert? What say? Your Uncle Gulliver? Well, that's too bad, Mert. Oh, my. And they ain't found the body yet, huh? <gasps> oh, heavenly days, McGee, what happened? Oh, well, Mert's uncle drove his car off a cliff and had to walk home. They found the chassis up in a tree, but they don't know where the body is. <laughs> what say, Mert? Oh, oh, that's okay, Mert. Everybody gets the wrong number now and then, except Irving Berlin. Well, let's see now. McGee, why are you saving this long stick? Of bamboo. Why, Molly, that's got a very definite purpose. If I was offered a job as a sparring partner for Joe Lewis, that's the ten-foot pole I wouldn't touch it with. <laughs> Say, do you really think that you can get all this stuff back in the closet? Why, sure I can. I don't want anybody touching these things either but me. They're too, they're too valuable. Oh. I'd had it done an hour ago if I hadn't been interfered with. All right. You do it, then. I have got some work to do in the kitchen. Well, i got to get the rest of this stuff in the corner here. <laughs> well, that looks like about all of it. Yep, it's all packed in there. Boy, what a job. Molly! Molly! What is it, McGee? Look, i got all that stuff back in the closet all straightened out. Splendid, McGee. And after this, when you want something out of there, let me get it for you. All right. Yep. But now that you've got the dictionary out of there, why don't you leave it out? We may need it again. Oh. What's oh. the matter? Well, I, <laughs> I forgot to leave it out. Uh, I packed the dictionary back in there. Oh, heavenly days. Oh, now, here, now, now, you stay away from there. Now I know exactly where I put it. I can get it out without any problem. Mm. All right. Go! Molly! Molly! Yes? I uh, found the dictionary. 
How do you spell annihilated? Now look, McGee, that junk of yours is positively not going back in that closet. Oh, yes it is. Oh, no it isn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, wait a minute. That's the wrong routine. <laughs> well, all right then. But if it does go back in there, I'll arrange it myself. Now you keep your hands off at this oh, time. Oh, you're, you're going to do it all by yourself? I am. Fine. As the fat lady says when she takes off her corset, that lets me out. Taint funny, McGee. Good night now. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Now the most popular comedic bit in radio and previously vaudeville is something you've, uh, is, uh, is something called Who's On First by Abbott and Costello. As a matter of fact, most of you can probably do large chunks of the act from memory, right? Well, we thought rather than just remind you of something that you already knew, we'd take advantage of Who's on first popularity by doing a variation on the routine you may never have heard before. It's one of those things when you become ubiquitous, people tend to have fun with you. The credibility gap created this gem, moving the action from the baseball diamond to the advertising arena. Originally performed by Harry Shearer of Simpsons fame and David Lender from Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. Here are Todd Tulsis and David Myers in Who's on First? The following incident takes place in the advertising department of the Los Angeles Times. Yeah, hello, Louise. Uh, did that rock and roll promoter ever show up? What rock and roll promoter? You know, the one who was going to take out the full-page ad. Did he ever show up? But he didn't. Oh, he did. Well, would you tell him he's uh, hmm, six minutes late by my watch and my watch is uh, hmm, five minutes fast? And, well, yeah, tell him that. I don't know what that comes to. Just have him figure it out. Would you please send him in? Thank you. Sheesh, I can't believe these people. They either, they either show up or, or they, they don't show up or, or they show up or they, they don't show up or they, they show up or they, they, they don't show up. Excuse me, uh, Mr. Hickenlooper? Yes, I'm Walter Hickenlooper. Yeah, yeah, how you doing? My name is Daddy Drawlinger. I'm with Conquest Concerts. We do all the big rock concert, rock and roll shows, you know, in the outlying areas. Yeah. We do the festival, the Salsa and Orange, Orange Show Auditorium. Uh -huh. You know all that stuff. Yeah, We've sure. done business with you people before. Uh -huh. And I came here personally today because I want a huge full-paid ad... We're doing a very, very big rock show at the Big O. The Big O. What is that, Winchell's Donuts? What's the problem, sir? Are you new to the area? No. Well, everybody here knows that there's a Big A, there's the Big O, there's the Big I. The Big A's Anaheim Stadium. That I know. The Big O's Ontario Motor Speedway. Ah, Ontario Motor Speedway. Uh, what's the Big I? That's me. You can write it down if you want. I'm not going to write that down. Well, it wouldn't hurt to remember. We're going to be in yeah, town for right. a while. Okay, fine, look, look, fine. look. It's going to be a very different kind of rock show. No smoke bombs, no lasers, and most important, no opening acts. Oh. Just three headline supergroups. Oh, my goodness. Boom, boom, boom. Just like that. You know, I want them all to have equal billing, equal weight. Well, the easiest way to do that is why don't we just list them in the order that they appear. How's that? One, two, three. That's a good idea. I like I like the way you work. Well, thank you very much. Maybe we'll do some business with you in the future. I sure hope so. Okay. Okay. Fine. Now, well, Mr. Higginlooper. Why don't we start with the name of the first act? Fine. Okay. Who's on first? 
Well, Mr. Higginlooper, if my secretary's already given you the information, there's no sense for me to be here. I could be out booking Sly in Spokane. So if you've got everything... Wait a minute, wait a minute. All I said was who's on first. That's right. Ah, that's right. I like that name. That's right. So affirmative, so positive, so... Don't write that's right. That's wrong. That's wrong. Hmm. Well, uh, well, a bit more negative, but, you know, with these times and all, that's... Mr. Higginlooper, it is not that's right. It's not that's wrong. Well, then who's on first? Who's on first? Who is on first? Who is on first? Who? 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 Who's on first? That's right. That's right. I got it down, written down right here. Look, Mr. Higginlooper, you get on the Pomona Freeway, you drive out to the Ontario Motor Speedway, you give the man your ticket, you sit down in your seat, the guy comes out and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present... Who? Who? That's right. That's right. I got it right here. It's a fine group as far as I'm concerned. What's the problem? Okay. You're, you're, you're upset. I guess I'm upset. Uh, we're having a communication problem. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Let, let, let's just get this straight before my quaalude kicks in, all right? All right. Okay. Okay. Fine. Uh, all right. Let's, let's start with the name of the second act. Fine. Okay. Who's on second? No, who's on first? Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, um, uh, ah. What's the name of the second act? Guess who? Uh, well, geez, I, uh, I'm not familiar with the genre here. I don't have any genre, just three rock and roll acts. Guess who? Well, uh, uh, give me a, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, Diggling Sisters. I, uh, They're not even sisters, Mr. Higginlooper. Guess who? Uh, 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 uh Poe Donaldson and the Haywoods. Poe Donaldson and the Haywoods. I'm not running some goddamn Bush Gardens here, pal. Guess uh, who? Uh, I, well, I, 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 well, I, I can't guess who. You don't have to guess who. Well, then I won't guess who. Don't, 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 don't guess who. All right. All right. All right. All right. I will tell you something, frankly, sir. I didn't have this much trouble with the free press. Well, I will tell, tell you something, frankly, sir. I didn't have this much trouble with the music center, and they put on Regaletto one year. That's four acts. Not the year they did it. <laughs> now, let's move on to the third act. Who? Uh, uh, what? Um, uh, will you please... Tell me the name of the third act. Yes. <laughs> Fine. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, well, let me see a proof of this ad by Wednesday. And wait, we'll wait, be wait a minute, wait a minute. Where are you going? Wait a minute. I asked you to tell me the name of the third act. I just told you the name of the third act. You want me to tell you again? Yes. That's right. That's right's on first. Who's on first? Guess who's on second? And the third act? Yes? That's, that's right, right, that's right. What is your problem? Here's my problem. I've been writing for 11 minutes. i got nothing down on the paper. Why don't you take the pen, you take the paper, and you write it down. Are you kidding? If I could write, I wouldn't have had to steal this bit. Oh. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We are the Willamette Radio Workshop. Remember, live radio lives or live radio lives. We'll see you again soon. Halloween at the Kennedy School. An evening with the tales of Edgar Allan Poe, ho, ho. Christmas has come too early this year. The Willamette Radio Workshop.
tell he's new. Um, You're tuned into Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is all things horror on Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day or find Tuesday Terrors in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. Together.